0: Well good morning. Welcome to Grace Bible Church. I'm thankful that you have you've joined us this morning. As we as we approach Christmas time we are given the opportunity to slow down and reflect on the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord. We're able to take the time to meditate on the goodness of a God who sent his son as a baby to save his people from their sins. Most of us most of us have been given time or given time away from school and work during this time we spend time with loved ones and worship our lord for sending his only begotten son so that we might have eternal life in him sadly though many people including many christians see christmas time as, uh, as 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 through, through a more cultural lens over the decades Black Friday, has, as you know, kicked off a frenzy of, of buying and selling in the name of so-called the so-called Christian spirits. And if there's any good in this, it's based on the words that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Yet, sadly, this has morphed into an opportunity for retailers to receive billions of dollars in revenue, mostly for cheaply made trinkets. Most of which ends up in storage or in the garbage heap, in very short order. On the positive side, Christmas in the United States is still an opportunity for us to give to people less fortunate. Just the other day, I saw a man purchase a couple of bicycles for for children whose parents couldn't afford them. He said that he finds joy in thinking of those kids who get to enjoy those bicycles on Christmas morning. On the negative side, many do these things thinking they can find favor with God through their good works. But God does not find pleasure in our empty sacrifices, does he? God spoke through the prophet Hosea, saying, For I delight in lovingkindness rather than sacrifice, and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. The question is, as we approach Scripture this morning, the question is, how do we avoid the pitfalls of our culture and focus on the goodness of the Lord during these Christmas holidays? Well, I would argue that Jesus' mother, Mary, modeled the humility, the praise, and the worship that should exemplify each of us. This morning, we're going, to look at, we're going to take some time to look at Mary's hymn of praise in Luke 1, 46-55. And as I do, as we do, that is, I pray that you will be encouraged and spurred on in your worship for her son, the king. In the words of commentator Daryl Bach, Mary's hymn is a story not only about herself, but about all those who fear God and are objects of His mercy and grace. Quote. So in Luke 1.46-55 this morning, we're going to find that Mary has two clear motivations for magnifying, and rejoicing, magnifying God and rejoicing in Him despite her great difficulties. She magnifies God and rejoices that, first, he has fully considered our humble state, and second, he has fully confirmed our promised mercy, or his promised mercy. Now, I originally hoped and wrote this, that thinking that we would cover both of Mary's motivations in one sermon, but, true to my nature, I don't think I can do anything without part one and part two, and sometimes part three, sometimes even part nine and ten, you know you know what I'm talking about. True to my nature, we're going to cover the first one today, and we'll cover the second motivation on Christmas Eve next Sunday. So let's pray, and then we'll read Mary's hymn of praise. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you would be with us. Lord, I pray again that through your Holy Spirit, you would energize your people, that even the preaching of the Word this morning, you would use to make to wake up your people. So that they may serve you in a greater way, in whatever that is, according to how you've gifted them. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's read Mary's hymn of praise. Mary magnifies the Lord, starting in Luke 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble state of his slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth, that is, Elizabeth about three months, and then returned to her home. Now you may recall, from last week's sermon, we began to study the amazing story of the events leading up to the Messiah's birth. We're studying this in Luke's Gospel of Luke chapter 1, and in Luke 1-5 we find that there was a priest named Zechariah, and he had a wife named Elizabeth. According according to Luke, they were both, according to Luke 1-6, they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and righteous requirements of the Lord. Now, sadly, uh, Elizabeth and, and Zechariah were old, and Elizabeth was barren. She had no child, according to Luke 1.7. And according to Luke 1.9, Zechariah was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense because he was a priest. Now, while he was in the sanctuary, the angel Gabriel appeared to him and told him that Elizabeth, his wife, would bear a son, and that, that son's name would be John. That's according to Luke 1.13. Zechariah struggled to believe the angel's incredible promise, so he was made unable to speak until John's birth, according to Luke 1.20. Now, after Zechariah returned home with Elizabeth, she conceived John in her womb as the angel pr- promised. And after these things, the angel Gabriel appeared to a virgin named Mary who was betrothed to a man named Joseph. Gabriel told Mary that she would conceive and bear a son, and that they shall call his name Jesus. That's according to Luke chapter 1, verse 31. Now, Mary was a virgin at the time of Gabriel's visitation, so she asked a very logical question. She said, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And he answered, the, the angel answered her and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Now, that's a very important verse. That's Luke one thirty-five, and that's a very important verse as we consider uh, Mary and where she's at at this time. Now, as he also told her at that time that Elizabeth had also conceived a son and that she was in her sixth month even though she was previously barren. That's according to Luke one thirty-six. Gabriel ended with a, an incredible promise that rings through to our own day. This is a promise to Mary, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, Mary was a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph. She had never lain with him, yet she was, would be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now, Matthew tells us, in the Gospel of Matthew, that she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. That's according to Matthew 1.18, which says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. So she had never been, she had never lain with Joseph that child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, she must have known that this would be scandalous among the people of Nazareth, yet she promised God, according to Luke 138, Behold, the slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. So she was completely, she was completely submissive to what the Lord was doing in her life, no matter how difficult it was. Now, after these things happened, this is all review from last week, after these things happened, Luke tells us that Mary arose, according to Luke one thirty nine. Mary arose and she went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah. Now, it's not clear, it's not clear, if it was known that she was pregnant at the time she left. Knowing how righteous she was, and knowing how righteous she was, I can imagine that she told Joseph what happened as soon as it happened. Now, I, I don't know that, but I can imagine that. If so, Joseph must have stayed back in Nazareth, <laughs> because at the time, according to Matthew 1.19, he was still planning to send her away secretly. Otherwise, I'm certain, now I, 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 I have, I, I'm certain that she would have had an inkling of the scandalous firestorm she faced when people found out. I, 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 I do believe that. Either way, the trip to visit Elizabeth must have been lonely and excruciating for, for Mary. Now, I want to make sure that I bring something out. When I say that, when I say that that must have been a lonely trip and excruciating for Mary because she had, was, was going to be pregnant or was pregnant with the, with, by the Holy Spirit, when I say that, I don't mean that she didn't have joy in that, right? I don't mean that she didn't have joy in her heart knowing what the Lord was doing, because we're going to find out later in, in our passage that we're getting to this morning, we're going to find out later uh, how much joy she had. But I think it was, I think there was anguish. I think there was difficulty because of what was going on in her life. And that's the way it always is. Uh, She believed God. She believed the angel Gabriel. But one can only imagine the anguish she must have felt as she traveled because, because she would have been alone. And we don't know if she had people with her, but I'm talking about spiritually alone. Have you ever felt alone and full of anguish as you pondered what might come of you? I mean, have you thought about it? I mean, have you had that happen to you? Mary was, let me just say this, Mary was a truly remarkable woman. She had found favor with God. She would give birth to King Jesus, the Son of God. Yet, we can't miss that Mary faced incredible trials that are almost beyond our imagination. I mean, she faced incredible trials in this situation. And I can't fathom what must have been going through her mind, the joy of knowing what the Lord was doing with her, but also the anguish of knowing what was happening to her in, in real time. And I can't imagine what was going through her mind as she traveled to visit Elizabeth. If nothing else, we can't forget that she probably traveled 90 miles on foot to, to arrive at Elizabeth's home in, in the city of Judah, in the city of Judah. Beloved some of us believe. That being blessed and used by God makes things easy for us. Yet that cannot be farther from the truth. You see, God uses trials and difficulty. He uses suffering to sanctify us. James tells us, in James 1, 2-4, I, I quote it a lot because it's so applicable to our lives. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith... Brings about it a perseverance and let perseverance have its perfect work so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let me just put it to you this way James must have learned this truth primarily from Jesus, right? But he must have seen it exemplified in Mary. Now, you may recall from Keith's sermon that Elizabeth refreshed Mary. Mary has found herself in a very difficult and humbling situation. Elizabeth is the only person in this world who could understand, at that very moment, who could understand what she was going through. So when she arrived, Mary greeted Elizabeth, and when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, as you recall in verse 41, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Last week, Keith encouraged us to see that Elizabeth's faith strengthens Mary's faith, Strengthened Mary's faith. Clearly, Mary was a strong woman of faith, yet she must have been weighed down by the burdens that she faced. I, I'm, I'm convinced that she had joy in her heart, but I'm also convinced that she had burdens that she, uh, knowing what she faced. And God used Elizabeth's faith to strengthen Mary for the trials and sufferings that she, she faced, but she also used her to bring out this joy in her heart. You see, Elizabeth didn't have to bear Mary's burden, yet she was a dear, dear friend who gave her encouragement at just the right time. And after this greeting, she cried out, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the the fruit of your womb, and how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Now, Keith showed us last week that Elizabeth's Elizabeth's joy fortified Mary's joy. Elizabeth's joy must have been infectious. It's not, that, it's not that Mary arrived without having any joy, but, but that Elizabeth's joy brought out Mary's joy even, even greater, in an even greater way. Can you imagine the joy etched on Elizabeth's face as Mary entered the house and the baby John uh, the Baptist leaped in her womb? Just listen to Elizabeth's heartfelt Felt response in Luke 144 for behold when the sound of your greeting reached my ears the, the baby leaped in my, in my womb for joy John's joy think of it this way you know for those who think that life doesn't begin until after the, after the baby's born think of it this way John's joy in the womb infected his mother which in turn infected Mary I mean, that's, that's a crazy thing to think about. This baby understood what was going on. John's ministry as forerunner to the Messiah had already begun. Even with all these incredible happenings, Elizabeth had waited her entire life to become pregnant. Now she was six months along with, the, with John the Baptist in her womb. Then the mother of her Lord visited her. You might think that, that she would succumb to pride, yet she only displayed humility. She was was incredulous, the incredulous as she asked, how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Why has the Lord shown favor to me? I don't deserve it. And as Keith pointed out last week, Elizabeth's humility encouraged Mary's humility. Now I hope you're asking how how much Elizabeth encouraged Mary. Well, I think we're about to see. In Luke one forty five, Elizabeth blessed Mary for believing that there would be a fulfillment. The fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. You see, Mary believed what the angel Gabriel said, and, and Elizabeth says, blessed is she for believing it. Mary believed Gabriel's report, yet she needed the example of Elizabeth's faith, Elizabeth's joy, and her humility. And even though Mary was an incredible woman, Nonetheless, she's a sinner just like anybody else, and she struggles just like you and I. She needed Elizabeth's presence and her encouragement. Elizabeth truly fortified Mary's faith as as evidenced by what happens next. Now there's a popular Christmas song called, I'm sure you're aware of it, Mary, Did You Know? Mark Lowry Lowry wrote the lyrics for this popular Christmas song. The final stanza asks, Mary, did you know that your baby boy is the Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? That sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. What a beautiful way of asking. And I understand the heart behind the song. But we're about to find out that Mary had considerable knowledge and understanding of what had occurred and what would be occurring and what would occur in the very near future. As I said in Luke through 55 Mary has two clear ma- motivations for magnifying God and rejoicing in Him despite these great difficulties. Mary magnifies God and rejoices that He has fully considered our humble state. She magnifies God and rejoices that he has fully considered our humble state. Look down at uh, state, state. Look down at your text in Luke 146. In this verse, we're going to find that God has considered our humble worship. God has considered our humble worship. I want you to notice that Mary's words are in direct response to Elizabeth's encouragement. Mary says. My soul magnifies the Lord. She had just been encouraged uh, for her belief in what the angel had said, God's promises. And then she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in my Savior. I want you to see that true worship comes from the very depths of our being. Notice that Mary speaks of her soul and her spirit's. The Greek word translated soul has the idea of that which gives us life, that animates us. So you could say it's the seat and the center of our, human, our inner human life. You might say that our soul is the center of who we truly are. The Greek word translated spirit has the idea of uh, uh, that which animates us and gives us life. Moses tells, uh, tells us in Genesis 2-7 that Yahweh formed the man, from, formed the man of dust, from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, so that the the man became a living being. He breathed into the man the breath of life, the spirit, and the man became a living soul. I think you can see, as I describe these two words, that they're virtually synonymous, virtually the same. Together, when you put them together, they speak of the deepest part of us, the writer of Hebrews tells us that the, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, in, in Hebrew thought, these two words are used to represent the deepest part of who we are. Uh, they cannot be, they're, 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 there's no division, but it's, it's so deep that there, there's no division to be found. Mary starts her hymn by describing or proclaiming worship literally from the deepest part of her inner being. Literally from the deepest part of who she is. That her worship comes from who she is in her deepest part. Church, our worship isn't about the songs we sing or the liturgy we follow. Your true worship, your true worship must spring from the very depths of your being. It it has nothing to do, your true worship has nothing to do with with your outward circumstances, whether good or bad or indifference. Your true worship must come from your heart. Must spring from your heart. Mary's worship sprang from the depths of her heart, and she was primed to love God. R.C. Sproul says, this is a prayer of prayers. What Mary says in this song of prayer is, from the depths of her very being, she wants God to be exalted. Get that, from the depths of her very being, she wants God to be exalted. She is a model of adoration, end quote. Do you, from the depth of your very being, do you want God to be worshipped? Do you worship Him in that way? Literally from from the division of soul and spirit that that, I mean as deep as you possibly can get, that's where the worship should spring. Look back at your text. Back in one forty six and forty-seven. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. The Greek word translated magnifies has the idea of glorifying, exalting, or exalting the Lord. Her thoughts and, and desires all have the effect of, of glorifying and exalting God. Look back at her, uh, look back. She says that her spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. The, the word that rejoice could be rendered as exceeding joy and exceeding gladness. In other words, Mary had regarded all that the Lord had done in her heart, and, he, and it gave her exceeding joy and exceeding gladness. You see, true worship springs from the heart of saved sinners look back at your at your text in 147 i want you to notice how mary refers to god she says my spirit has rejoiced in god my savior specifically she's referring to god as her savior in Psalm 24, 5, David referred to God of his, the God of his salvation. Uh, the, the prophet Micah in Micah 7, 7, he, he said that he will wait for the God of his salvation. In the New Testament, the apostle Paul calls God our Savior and Christ our hope. Yeah, uh, that uh, basically Mary is taking the pattern of Scripture, and she's calling, uh, she's saying that the God is my Savior. Mary m- later Jude calls God our Savior and Jesus our Lord. It's the pattern of Scripture that that it, God is our Savior, and that's what Mary calls Him. Back in Luke one forty seven, obviously Mary believes that God is her physical Savior. After all, He's protected her up until this point. He's protected her through the journey. But He's so much more than that. He is her Savior from sin. You see, Mary is just like us. She's a, a sinner in need of salvation. She's a sinner in need of salvation. She wouldn't say God our Savior if it weren't for that, right? I mean, of course she means the physical side too. But clearly, clearly she understands God as Savior from sin. I want you to notice something else about the verb tenses that Mary uses. And don't check out on me, all you people that that have been going to hermeneutics, you understand we're going to talk about verb tenses, but I'm going to try to explain it well. Notice in 146 she uses the present tense. My soul magnifies. Notice in 147 she uses the past tense. Has rejoiced. My spirit has rejoiced. That's the past tense. It's the aorist tense in Greek for you, for you nerds out there. I want you to follow me here. By using the t- these verb tenses in this fa- fashion, she is telling us that she presently magnifies the Lord because she has previously rejoiced in His salvation. You get that? She presently magnifies. She's presently magnifying the Lord. She's doing it now because she has previously rejoiced in His salvation. You see, true and humble worship always springs from the heart of a saved sinner. Brothers and sisters, God considers your worship when it springs from the heart of a humble and radically saved believer. Have you ever noticed that the people who are walked in the greatest darkness are the ones that emanate the greatest light. Have you ever noticed that? Because because they know where they've come from, right? They know, and they don't take it for granted, all that God has done. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ like Mary knew Him, it is impossible to please Him on your own merits. And as we consider Mary's worship, I want to mention one other thing. The false doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. The Catholic Church holds to the doctrine, it's called the Immaculate Deception, that's right, Conception. But you could say Deception. This is the teaching that Mary herself was free from original sin. Therefore, she, according to Catholic dogma, she was a pure vessel to carry Jesus in her womb. But I can tell you, this is absolutely a lie. It's not true. There was only one sinless one. The Lord Jesus himself. The one that was in her womb. Luke 1.47 shows us that she viewed herself as needing a Savior from sin. Leon Morris, the commentator, states, God my Savior shows that Mary recognized her need. She was a sinner like other people. End quote. Just like you and I, Robert Stein, another commentator, has said Mary had been graced by God in that she had been chosen to bear God's Son. She had not been chosen for this task because she possessed a particular piety or holiness of life that merited this privilege. The text suggests no special worthiness on Mary's part, other than the fact that she was humble, of course. Warren Weir'sby, another commentator, says, "Although she was a godly woman, it was God's grace, not Mary's character, that made her God's choice." End quote. Mary was a great woman. Maybe you could even maybe say the greatest woman ever to live. You could probably say that. I mean, she after I, she was blessed by the Lord, she did carry the Lord in her in her womb, absolutely. But she was just like you and I in the sense that she was a sinner in need of a Savior. And what's amazing about her is she carried that Savior in her womb. She was blessed by God to do so. Now look down at Luke one forty-eight. In this verse, we're going to find that God has considered our humility. He has considered our humility. Look at the verse. For He has looked upon the humble state of His slave. Now I want you to pay special attention to what Mary says here she very much recognizes her position before the throne of god she also recognizes her situation here on earth notice that she says that see, god has looked upon her the humble state of his slave mary she recognizes something she realizes something that that we serve an omniscient god who sees everything who sees everything proverbs fifteen three says the eyes of yahweh are in every place watching the evil and the good Mary understood Proverbs 15.3. Mary understood that God knew her from before the foundation of the world. Mary understood that God had chosen her in Him and predestined her through Jesus Christ to Himself. She knew that about about what God had done. Even at that time, even as she had traveled those long and difficult miles, God led her to... Elizabeth's house. I mean it was God who put her there, right? God knew every step that she would take. He knew every part of it. I'm certain that Mary could recite Psalm 139 by heart. It says in Psalm 139 verse 8, in the words of King David, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I lift up the the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. Uh, The Lord God knows and understands your situation intimately. He knows details that you cannot even fathom. Mary knew that. Mary knew that. He looked upon her. He looked upon the humble state of his slave. He knew her. He knew the situation. According to cultural norms, Mary would have, would have become the lowest of the low. She had, lain, had, she had, had, she had, had she actually lain with a man out of wedlock, she would have been absolutely kicked out of society. She would have been ostracized. Only God knew every detail of that situation. And I should point out that she calls herself his slave, right? He, she's willing to do whatever because he, she sees herself as his slave or his servant. She understood that no matter how life was to go, she was bound to him. He had redeemed her. He literally owned her. Brethren, is that your attitude? Is this your attitude toward life? Do you recognize, are you God's God's property? Do you recognize yourself as His slave? You see, let me say it this way. God will always act according to His will for your life. And the sooner we get to understand that, the sooner we understand that, the better off we'll be. That no matter what happens, no matter what happens to us, He will always act according to His will for your life. And He knows your humble state. And you can trust Him completely because He has considered our future. Look back at your text in 148, Luke 148. She says, For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. When Mary says, For behold, she really wants to draw attention to what she's saying. She recognizes the profound nature of what's happening to her. She will give birth and raise the Messiah with her uh, husband Joseph. His birth has unfathomable ramifications on our, on our world <coughs> excuse me, and on the heavenly realm. Yet from her lowly perspective as, as God's slave, she cannot fully see all that God would accomplish. But Mary does know, she does know, let me say that again, she does know the promises God has made. She does know that the angel Gabriel proclaimed to her in Luke 1, 32 and 33 that the baby in her womb would be called great, would be great and be called the Son of Most High and the Lord God will give him the throne of his his father David and, and she does know that he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and there will be no end to his kingdom because that's what the angel told her. Right? Mary does know. She does recognize that despite the current state of her life, from that point forward, all generations will count her blessed by God to be the one chosen to give birth to the promised Redeemer. Brothers and sisters, God fully knows the future. And if He fully knows the future, He fully knows your future. And He has considered everything. He has even ordained your future to come to pass. Now, it's a process of discovery for us, is it not? Right? It may be written for for us. It may be, God may know it and may have ordained it, but it's a process of discovery for us. But for Him, He knows our entire lives right down to the minute details. That should be comforting to us. It should be comforting. I love the words of Yahweh according to the prophet Isaiah. He says, Remember the former things long past, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things which have not been done, saying, My counsel will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure.'" Well, that ought to be comforting to the believer, right? To know that we serve a God who knows our future. Do you know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you believed in Him by faith? Do you know His grace and mercy? And again, in the words of the commentator Daryl Bach, Mary will be honored from now on by all generations, not because she's special. You know, the Catholics call her sinless, right? Not because she's special, but because she is the model and representative of what it is to experience God's grace and mercy, end quote. That's powerful. That's truly, incredibly powerful. Not only has he considered our future, he's also considered our past. Look at verse 149. Look back at her words. For the mighty one has done great things for me, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Mary recognizes the mightiness of God. She understands that He is the all-powerful One who can accomplish great things. As she surveys her past up until that time, she can clearly see how God has worked in her life. He has prepared her for this moment from before the foundation of the world. He has worked all things, in the words of Paul in Ephesians 1.5, according to the good pleasure of His will. We serve the same God who has done these things. You serve the same God that Mary serves. And from before the foundation of the world, He has planned all of these things according to the good pleasure of His will. And I hope that you can look back at your past like Mary's doing. And I hope that you can see the things that He's done in your life that led you to this very moment and will ultimately lead you to worship before His throne in eternity. Hallelujah. He made Mary for this task. You see that? He literally made her for this task. Every, the DNA, the very DNA of Mary has been programmed by the Creator to be exactly what He wants her to be, to do exactly what He wants her to do. Even before she was born, He had a plan for her. Even before God told Satan that the seed of the woman would crush his head, he had a perfect plan for Mary. Even before the very foundation of the world, he knew that he would send his own son to redeem his people, and he knew that he would use Mary to bear uh, bear his son. (laughs) Beloved, we serve a God who is eternal. We serve a Lord who is the same... Yesterday, today, and forever. We serve a Lord, need I remind you, that knows your name. John 10.3, He calls His own sheep by name and He leads them out. We serve a Lord who not only knows your name, He even knows the number of hairs on your head. uh, Luke 12.7, the Lord Jesus, indeed the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, you are more valuable than the the many sparrows. Here's the absolute truth. God has considered your past even when it was yet future to you. Think about that. God has considered your past, my past, even when it was yet future to us. I I have no, I have no, no words. And he's done this for his holy name. Look at verse, Luke, verse forty nine. He has considered his holy name. Look at the end of one forty nine. Mary adds, "And holy is his name." You see, Mary intimately knows and understands Scripture. She knows David's words in Luke twenty three three. He guides me in the path, the paths of righteousness, for his name's sake. She knows the, the, David's words in Psalm twenty-five, eleven: "For Your name's sake, O Yahweh, pardon my iniquity, for it is great." She knows David's words in Psalm thirty-one, three: "For Your name, You are my high rock and my fortress. For Your name's sake, You will lead me and guide me." Church, Mary knows that God will carry out His perfect plan for the sake of His holy name. say that again God will carry out his perfect plan for the sake of his holy name we can trust every promise he has made because of his holy name he cannot go against his name truly the very child she carried in her womb would be called Jesus he would be called the son of the most high Uh, he will be great He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give Him the throne of David, and we can trust this promise because of His holy name. I'm telling you, every every bit of Scripture, every prophecy will be carried out because of His holy name. You can trust Him because of His holy name. Mary trusted Him because of His holy name. Church, I'm convinced that by Mary's word, that she, word, she had great understanding of what God was accomplishing through her, that Mary did know a whole lot more than we might think. I am certain that she was looking expectantly for the promised Redeemer, the Messiah. And after, after Ad, Adam fell into, the, into sin, into the garden, plunging the whole world into sin, God had made an amazing promise that He would send a Redeemer to save us from our sins. He would crush the head of the serpent. And I'm convinced that godly men and women looked expectantly for that day that God would send this Messiah, this Redeemer. And according to Gabriel, the baby in Mary's womb would be called the Son of the Most High. So while Mary might not have understood every nuance, I am convinced from her own words that she understood the greatness of what was happening to her. Boy, that ought to excite you. I mean, if that doesn't excite you, I'm not sure what will. I'm convinced that she was capable of, capable of putting one foot in front of the other. I'm convinced that she had great joy in what she was doing despite her situation because of her understanding of God's holy name. The baby in her womb would one, gra- one day grow to be a man, but not just any man. He was the God man, he was the Son of God and the Son of Man. And Jesus in Luke 19.10 proclaimed that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Friends, brothers, sisters, as we approach our time of observing Christmas, I want you to know that Jesus came to this earth. The Son of God came to this earth. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived the perfect life without sin. The writer of Hebrews tells us that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in all things like we are yet without sin. Our Lord's conception by the Holy Spirit ensured that He was sinless, never capable of sin. He was and He is the perfect Son of God, Son of Man. Our Lord's Conception in Mary's womb also made him the Son of Man. He experienced life from conception, birth, to death, just like you and I. And like, uh, not, just like us, he was born to die, we're born to die, and then comes judgment, because we're sinners, but he is not a sinner like us. According to the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, before the foundation of the world, he suffered, the God suffered, caused him to suffer and die on a Roman cross at the hands of lawless men. He had done no wrong. He was completely without sin. The baby in Mary's womb was the sinless lamb of God. And the angel had proclaimed to Joseph that this baby, Jesus of Nazareth, had come to save, or came to save his people from their sins. That's Matthew one twenty one, And he would do that by going to the cross to bear the Father's wrath poured out upon sin. Paul tells us that God made him, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. You see, Jesus... The baby in that womb was born to die. He is the perfect, sinless Son of God. He has no sin, had no sin, could not sin, yet the Father treated Him as if He were sin and poured out His wrath upon His sinless Son. And He did so. Almost inexplicably. so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You see, at the cross, Jesus shed His blood so that we might have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our transgressions according to the riches of His grace. Incredibly in Christ our certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which are, were hostile to us. He has taken those out of the way having nailed them to the cross. Our Lord Jesus came as a babe in the manger to die for his people. To take upon Himself, sins of the world. Here's the great question. Here's the great question. Are you one of His people? Have you bowed your knee to Him as the Lord of your life, like Mary? Can you rightly say, I am His slave? If you haven't, I beg you, I beg you, I beg you, don't let another second go by without trusting Him in His life, His death, and in His glorious resurrection. Jesus went to the cross and He died on behalf of His people, yet he was not abandoned to Sheol. The grave could not hold Him. The grave could not hold Him. The grave could not hold Him. And here's the amazing truth. We celebrate Christmas with an eye toward the cross and the grave. And we celebrate Christmas toward, with an eye toward Resurrection Day when Jesus defeated death and sin. And now He sits at the right hand of the Father. And we, we serve a glorified and a risen Savior who has a name above every name. And at His name, every knee will bow. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I hope you believe that today. I want you to recognize that every knee will bow. The only question is when. This doesn't mean that everyone will be saved. It means that even those who are in the flames of hell Will acknowledge him as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. You better believe it. Even those in the flames of hell will acknowledge him as the Lord of Lords and the King Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. You don't know him? Don't wait. Do it now. And here's the promise: if you do, if you do. You will be with Him in paradise forever. You will spend eternity with Him. What an amazing promise that is. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning for Your goodness to us and Your mercy toward us. Thank You for this wonderful hymn of praise, hymn of worship. My Mary, Lord, we as You know, don't venerate Mary. Yet we see the greatness of her humility. We see how you have blessed her in carrying our Lord, giving birth to Him. Father, I pray that we would join Mary in praising You and worshiping You from the very depths of our being. In Christ's name, Amen.